Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckables? What the fuck sticks? What the fuckadelics? What the fuckleberry fins? That's enough of that. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for joining me. I'm in a, I seem to be in a chronic brain skid. I don't know if I have PTSD from everything that's led up to this moment or what. I just, I mean, I'm here, I'm in the present, but things just, I don't, I don't seem to stop. I just seem to keep doing and doing and putting things in and doing and putting things into my head. There's this moment where, and it doesn't help, as I said before, that there's no seasonal shift here in LA and I, everything's just becoming a smear on the calendar. My brain is becoming just a, a consciousness smear, just a smear of a life. That's what's happening. My brain is smearing life. Right now, it's smearing. I didn't even realize how much I enjoyed the word smear. Today, today on the show, Chris Parnell from, uh, you know, from 30 Rock, from SNL, from uh, television and movies. You know who he is. Come on. We had a nice chat. What's going on? Where are we at? I went running today. I did not run in the 100 degree heat or the 90 degree heat or whatever the fuck it is today on October 2nd. I got to get back to New York, man. I got to get into that fall, man. Fall just breaks open my brain. Fall is my time. Fall is when I can layer. I in, I enjoy layering. I enjoy wearing a corduroy blazer occasionally. I enjoy putting on a sweater, maybe a maybe a, an LL Bean flannel or chamois. That's what I enjoy. I I, I want to put my boots on. I want to walk around all bundled up with a scarf and maybe even a little uh, hat. What do you call those hats again? What do you call those ones that I wear sometimes? A toque? Who am I talking to? Yeah, man, maybe that's what it's called. All right, thanks. Thanks for checking in. No problem, dude. I'll be right here if you need me. All right, buddy. Just uh, keep an eye on me. I'm always keeping an eye on you. I can't control you, but, you know, I'm doing what I can here. I can only be as positive as uh, you allow me to be. All right, it's just getting confusing. I think it's a toque. Is it a toque? I don't know, but I, 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 I would like to layer I can't wait to go back to New York for a couple of days. I'm going back for this New Yorker festival uh, next weekend. I don't even know if there are tickets available for that or how the show is going to work or what. But I mean, as some of you, well, those are sold out too. I'll be back in New York November 7th for uh, a couple of shows at the Skirball Center. And then I'm going to be back. 
I'm doing Comics Come Home up in Boston, and I believe that's on the 8th of November after I do the shows in New York. And I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to, hopefully it won't be snowing by then, but I'll take in a little fall. I just miss it. I miss the crisp feel of the air. I miss that weird, you know, slight chill. It's almost a romantic chill of the fall. And my brain just breaks open and all the weird things that that moved me through my entire life just come right to the surface and fall. If they don't come right up to the surface, the feeling of it does. The feeling of it. I need I need some fall. I'm I'm sweating and I'm smearing and I'm 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 getting it's not delusional. It's just like everything is just kind of, uh, it's hazy, man. It's hazy. So I went running today at the gym. I got to get back on that, you know, because I'm holding on to the dream here. And I know it's healthy, but it, but it, it did make me feel better. It's, you have to get into that state of mind, that weird, you know, once you start going back to the gym, you just have to, it's just crossing that line. It's just like pushing through that invisible wall and be like, all right, I'm going to do it. And the first time it's sort of like, that wasn't too bad. But then you go back again and you realize, all right, I have a brain uh, state that occurs at the gym. And you just, you know, drift into that state. You know why you're there. There's no reason to freak out about it. And you just sort of, you know, kind of lay into it, you know, stretch it out, get on the machine, sweat it out, you know, wipe down the machine. If you're one of those people, I'm, I'm not a wiper. I'll towel it off, but I don't go get the, uh, cleaning products. I can't fucking stand when people just start spraying fucking cleaning products when you're trying to breathe. You ever been at a restaurant where they wipe down a fucking table next to you with Windex or some shit and just fuck up your nose for the whole meal? It's bullshit. Same with running, man. You're running, some guy comes and squirts a bunch of fucking industrial cleaner on the thing like like the Ebola's right there on the machine. I guess, well, maybe that's a possibility. No, I don't know. I don't know. They're saying it can't spread, but these fucking bugs are pretty devious. They're gunning for the big prize. You know what I'm saying? The bugs are gunning for the big prize. They are the meek, the viral entities, the renegade strands of of, uh, RNA looking to complete themselves with your cells. Those are the ones, man. Those are the ones that God left incomplete. They're gunning for the big time. So that's going to be the fight. You think ISIS is the fight? No, it's just these renegade viral strands of half the genetic material they need to survive. Mmm. Oh, man. But what did I just, uh, did I just synopsize The Stand by Stephen King? I didn't even read that book, but it's got something to do with that, right? Am I wrong? Is there a vaccine? Is there a vaccine for life? God, it's freeform riffage today. That's all that's happening. It's fall. It's fall. It is fall. Okay? I want to wear a scarf. I want to wear a hat. I want to eat some pumpkin pie. I want to feel the crispness. I want to feel it. Something about it, man. Something about the fall just shakes loose those old, those all those old first feelings. Like right now, I'm sort of excited about this. I I got this book in the mail, and this is a not a sponsor. This is not a plug, but it's something I like. I'm excited. I'm excited. Fanographics Books, who just decided to start sending me books again, which I'm thrilled about, um, has has fucking. Hey, they've just come out with this. Uh, the Mythology of S. Clay Wilson, Volume 1, Pirates in the Heartland. S. Clay Wilson. Do you remember the first time you ever saw an S. Clay Wilson panel? It was almost as powerful as your first blowjob. It was almost as mind-blowing. I mean, I can look at these things now. You know, the strips are fine, but the panels, man. In the back of the book, they got the big color panels. 
S. Clay Wilson was just fucking beautiful filth, just mind blowing. All these elaborate panels. They're just they're comics, but they're full of demons and 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 boobs and drugs and pirates and bikers and you know knives and and cocks and pussies and more boobs. It's just it's just like sex, violence, debauchery. The checker demon. This this oh my god, I'm just looking at it now. I'm just I mean, I don't know what age I saw this in. I can't remember if I saw it in I think I saw it in a magazine first. I think I saw it in either maybe it was heavy metal or maybe it was uh, in National Lampoon when I was a kid. But do you remember the things that had that that impression on you? I mean, S. Quay Wilson's panels are like I look at them now and they just jack my brain. I don't know how old I was when I first saw it, but it couldn't have helped. Or maybe it did help. Maybe it gave me way more information than I could ever use, but I have it as a reference point in my brain right now. He was a lot, he was with the guys uh, over at Zap, I think, in, in San Francisco. I'm going to read the book, but I'm too busy looking at the pictures. I don't know a lot about him, but it is filthy beauty. Oh, my God. Just celebratory debauchery. And he is um, still around, and he's had a little trouble. Uh, I, I I think he he took a spill and he and he he's not well. If you go to esquaywilson.com, it'll take you to the esquaywilsontrust.com, and you can donate a little money. This guy it was a great artist, and he 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 made a profound contribution to to elevating you know gritty, dark, poetic, beautiful art in the world. And you know he needs help. He's he's severely impaired. He had some problems. And, uh, and you know, when you're an artist, you don't always prepare for the future and he needs some help. So go to sclaywilson.com or sclaywilsontrust.com and kick in a few shekels for this guy. This guy's a, he was a warrior. He was a hero of the imagination and he deserves your help. And I want you to help him because he blew my fucking mind. All right. Okay. And also pick up this book, man. I mean, uh, The Mythology of S. Clay Wilson, Volume 1, Pirates in the Heartland. If you're not familiar with the dude, the guy was a fucking genius. I mean, he was there with Crumb in Spain and uh, and that crew in San Francisco. And he was doing his, his, his own thing, man. It was just, it was, it was all that momentum of the 60s just exploded in satiric debauchery. It's just fucking beautiful. I'm just looking at it and it's making my brain juiced. It's making me remember the first time I saw it. Like the first, do you remember the first time you saw like sex, you know, in a comic or in a book and you were like, oh my God. And then the first time you had sex, you're like, oh my, oh, I'm sorry. Do you remember? I mean, there's a, there's a learning curve to that. First time you see sex, usually it's before you have sex and you're like, oh my, I'm going to do that myself. And you have some control over that. And then you're like, I think I'm going to apply this knowledge to a real person when I get the opportunity. And then you got a head full of what you're supposed to do and you go, oh, oh no, oh no, why? What happens now? Time to clean up. I was thinking about that though. I was thinking about my life and about my dick. Is this getting too crass? Is this not, uh, am I not, am I riding the cusp of highbrow and lowbrow right now? Am I just rambling I'm, I'm a little beat up because i went running haven't gotten running i drank too much coffee and i didn't sleep enough i got up early i went to a meeting to to get my brain in the right place to survive <laughs> to survive and uh you know maybe i'm uh, maybe i'm maybe i'm pushing the envelope but how can you did you ever just sit and think now nah, you know that now i'm a man and i'm sure women i, I don't know what the experience is for women but 
because I can be empathetic, but I just don't know. Like, like if a guy, the first time a guy has sex, that guy being me, it might not go well, but it's, it's 99.9% chance that it's going to feel good. And that is not something that I, I think that I hear from a lot of women. I, I think that, you know, uh, for women, it's uh, it can be painful, it can be difficult, it can be awful. Uh, for a guy, it can be awful, but it's always going to be, you know, you're always going to be like, oh, you know, there's that. There's never a lack of that. And I was just thinking about it. I don't know why I'm thinking about it. Because I think I told you about this before, but like my brain seems to want to regress. So like I think I'm on the verge of of actually having some genuine self-acceptance and 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 not spinning as, as much garbage as I usually do, but my brain is panicking because it doesn't know what happens in place of that. So I seem to be regressing and thinking back, not being nostalgic so much, but listening to music that makes me kind of buzz out. And, I, you know, I, I thought about, I, I, did I tell you that already about, you know, almost buying a skull shirt, you know, for safety, uh, which was something I used to do because, you know, I had to protect myself with skulls at one point in time. But but then I started going further back. And do you do you fucking remember the first time you had sex? I mean, really remember the feeling and then just being like, oh, my God, I am the universe. I am part of moving forward. I am. Everything is moving through me. All of history is happening right now. And my head's about to explode and it's going to be messy. Do you remember like just like the feeling of like it's happening? Oh, God damn it. Maybe I am just getting old and nostalgic. Maybe this is a midlife meltdown thinking about this kind of stuff. I'm not saying sex is bad now. It's great. Nothing wrong with it. Awesome. But that first time, it's like the first time for any of that first fucking boom. Yeah, I mean, sure, there can be love involved. I mean, that's fine. But I think in the in the long run, for me, it's not the love I remember. It's, it's the the feeling of having it inside of something. <laughs> yeah. Oof, boy. Remember the first uh, blowjob? Oh, my goodness. What a night that was. In a car, beside a park, hoping the cops don't show up, just making the rounds, hoping that whatever is happening will continue to happen. And I remember specifically thinking, I, I think I'm going to need more of this. Uh, this, is a, this is a positive thing about being alive and in the world. Oh, my God, man. I feel like I just... Oh, just, oh, it's apple time. It's pumpkin time. I want to be wearing a hat. All right, look, Chris Parnell is here. Let's talk to him, okay? We're going to talk to Chris. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needs. Needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts.
Parnell. Chris Parnell. You're one of those that guys. Is that a good thing? That's a great thing. Yeah. That's the best thing to be. Hey, there's that guy. <laughs> I don't know his name or <laughs> yeah. where I've seen him. Or... But that's him. He's in one. Oh, he's funny. He's always funny in these things. Oh, there's that guy again. No, I think that might be the be- the best possible thing to be, because you can always evolve and change. It's true. Surprise everybody with a big thing. I don't know about that, but why not? Well, you know, if, if it comes along. So what do you you live a uh, you live across the way almost, and what do you uh? How long you lived out here? Well, I originally moved out here in 92, and then I went to New York in 98 to do SNL. So you came back out here when? Uh, 2007. And you like it? Oh, I love it. Yeah? Yeah. Where'd you come from, man? Uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis. Yeah. Beale Street. Yeah. The Peabody Ducks. That's right. <laughs> the things, the two things, people. And Graceland. Graceland. Right, the three things everybody knows about And Memphis. the horrible hotel. <laughs> Where someone shot Martin Luther King. Oh, yeah. Which is now the Civil Rights Museum. Yeah. Uh, the Lorraine. I, the Lorraine Hotel. Mm-hmm. So what kind of life? Were you? Uh, were there animals involved? or? Um... There were cats. Uh-huh. We, yeah, we had cats growing up. <laughs> Usually one at a time. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, like, we're in, uh, is, there, is it an outside area in Memphis, or are you right in the city? Well, I grew up in a, in a neighborhood called Whitehaven, and yeah. then we moved to a suburb called Germantown when I was about 14. And what? How many brothers and sisters you got? I got one sister who's yeah. two years younger than me. She's, yeah, she and my mom and dad and her family are are back there. So you go back there? I do, I do, but I haven't been back since two Christmases or since. Yeah, it's been a while because uh, I had a son. You did. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And uh, how old is that kid? He's a uh, he's a little over eleven weeks. Oh God! So you're not sleeping. This is gonna... Not sleeping as much as I'd like. Uh-huh. I'm sleeping more than my wife. This so. is the first kid? It is. That's exciting. It is very exciting. Oh, my God. So you're in it. You're like you're at the front lines of, yeah. of doing a dad thing. We are. How old are you? I'm 47. Wow. Yeah, I waited a while. So were, were, did you have thoughts about that? Were you like, ugh? Yeah, a... You know, it was more about just finding somebody that I wanted to be married to. Right. When did, how when did that happen? Uh, we've been together a little over six years. 41. Yeah. yeah, see, I just uh, I just recently quit the entire relationship endeavor. I'm oh, done. yeah? Yeah. You're I've not... been married twice, engaged once, uh, just got out of a relationship. I'm finished. Come on. No, it's over. I'm 50. There's no reason. What's the point? Companionship. Ugh. Love. Love, is it? Oh, romance. <laughs> Those things. Yeah. Hey, those only last a week or two with me. Then it just comes, you know, damage control and trouble management. <laughs> I wish uh, there's no honeymoon phase with me, Chris. No. No, it's all very fun for about a week, and then <laughs> time for couples counseling. <laughs> How long were you married? <laughs> I was married for three... I was with both of those women eight years each, married three and a half years each. And I was engaged for about a, you know, a little over, a little less than a year, and that fell apart. You know, it's not always me, man. I, you know, we don't have to talk about me, but I'm more than willing to. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. You're more interesting than I am, for, I, d- I don't know sure. if that's true. I mean, that's I... definitely true. I am fascinated with people that grow up in the South... Memphis is an important part of American history, and you come from it. I do. That's true. And you have you come from generations of Southerners. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah. I and did so. you did you talk like that at some point? Did you have to get that out of you? I did. Seriously? Yeah. You had seriously. to consciously. I had to. I worked on it at drama school. 
So wait, so what what did your dad do when you were growing up? He's a voiceover guy. Your dad's a voiceover guy in yeah. Memphis? He's a, he was a disc jockey at a station called WHBQ. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. What was his name? Jack Parnell. Jack Parnell. Yeah. Did you talk, did did you do a Jack Parnell impression? <laughs> uh, not not consciously. People say I sound like him sometimes, but he's his voice is even more you know. And what? Wait, so he's a local radio personality? Or? Yeah, yeah. And then now he and for a long time he's just he's been a commercial guy. Does voiceovers down there? Yeah, you can just do it from there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, does he, he do nationals every now and then? But it's you know it's mostly local and regional kind of stuff. I only know one other guy whose dad was a voiceover guy. I know the guy whose father was uh, the voice of uh, Count Chocula or Frankenberry. I can't remember one of the one of those. Yeah, his dad was the voice of one of those. Oh wow! I don't know why I'm sharing that with no, you. No, it's interesting. It's important it's stuff. A bit of trivia yeah, to is. know your dad was Count Chocula. <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody can claim that. Like, did, did your dad uh, host a music show? Um, he may have co-hosted like a teen dance show at one time. Um, before, teen dance show. Yeah, I feel like that might have been in the works, but I don't know if it was on television or if it was like at the fairgrounds or something like the that. The fairgrounds. Yeah. So your dad's voiceover artist and your mom, what'd she do? She's a housewife. And did you drive uh, cars fast and drink or, and stuff like that? Were I there, didn't drink. I didn't. High I speed chases? Not really, no. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I would drive fast sometimes when I was late for work. Yeah. I bottomed out. Or this Buick my dad had kind of bought for me to use, and he somehow—I guess he took it in to get it repaired or something—and they saw the scrape marks on the bottom of the, you know. Boy, the, you're a rebel, man! I was out of control, man. Jesus Christ! Out bottoming out the control. old Buick. <laughs> and your dad said, "What have you been doing?" In his low voice, "What have you been doing with this car?" <laughs> I was I was late to my job as a disc jockey at a radio station in Mississippi. Wait a minute, you were a disc jockey as well? I was. So when you go places, were you like, so you're Jack Parnell's kid? <laughs> well, it used to be that, yeah. <laughs> it used to be that. Yeah. Hey, you're going to be in radio too, huh? That kind of thing? There wasn't too much pressure for that. They were they were always really supportive of me doing whatever, but then when they realized I wanted to be an actor, they were. They were oh. cool? Oh, yeah. They when were did cool. you decide to do that? When I was 17. And how did you, uh, and, and how, how did you pursue it? Did you Did you walk in and go... Mother, father, <laughs> did you do a show? Well, it wasn't it wasn't quite that grand, but yeah. I, I mean, I've been been doing plays at my high school, and yeah. uh, which and ones? First one I did was The Wiz. You did The Wiz. I did The Wiz. I, I was playing The Wiz. Well, it was a mostly white production of The that Wiz. That doesn't seem right. Well, you know, it's not we, the way it's supposed to we be. We made Chris. it work. We, it's it's like it's horribly indicative of the region you're from. <laughs> You whitened, exactly, it might be. You, you whitened the whiz. <laughs> so you took the one... <laughs> I think that nope, was, can't have that one. It was, it was the most famous sort of like black adaptation of, <laughs> right. of, a, of a great story. You got a lot of press for being you know, kind of groundbreaking. Sure. You just whitened it right up. Huh? <laughs> you horrible, horrible Southern person. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> what, I'm a monster. The white... <laughs> The white, the white whiz. <laughs> no, no, I was a, I was a munchkin. Okay, at least well, you didn't. So you weren't taking the brunt of the the horrible uh, no racist undertaking. <laughs> no, you, I wasn't. You were just a side a bit player. Exactly. You're a large munchkin. You know, we were on we were on these milk crates that had rollers on the bottom of them, and we just kind of rolled around. Oh, so you're on your knees. Well, I was on my butt, but like seated, like scooting around, so kind of crab like. Oh, on, on, yeah. This sounds like a slightly disturbing production of this one. <laughs> it was a very experimental production. It, was, it sounds a little rough. It was terrifying. Yeah, was, it, was everybody... 
Was everybody on wheels? <laughs> Just the munchkins. Uh, Just the munchkins. Where are we rolling around? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that sounds pretty provocative. Well, we had these we had these giant sort of costumes, like these umbrella like things that went down to the floor so you couldn't see our our legs. This was so your like first... we're floating. Uh huh. Kind of, yeah. Floating munchkins. Yeah. Uh, in a white production of The Wiz. Yeah. Maybe I framed it wrong. Maybe it was far ahead of its time. <laughs> like I said, it was experimental. That was, that was your first. It wasn't my first theater experience. That was my first musical. Okay. Yeah. I did a couple of plays at uh, my other school, my first school, Southern Baptist Educational Center. You grew up Southern Baptist? I did. What does that mean? That's not the snake one. Now people get mad at me. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's not the snakes. That's more. Um, That's mainstream. Southern Baptist is like Falwell, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm afraid so. There was uh, those, and then there, what's the other ones? The, there's Pentecostal. Southern yeah. Baptist is, is sort of like what most people are down there, but then, right, and then there's another one that competes with Southern Baptist. I don't know. Is it Assembly of God? Yeah, I think yeah. it is. is it? Yeah. Did yeah. you guys, were there battles? <laughs> <laughs> not, not that, that I would, only against the devil, Mark. Always against the devil. Yeah. Devil, I, I don't know who wins ultimately. <laughs> but were you religious? I was, yeah. I was like, I was pretty serious. How about now? Uh, not now. Really? No more. Where, what, what, what made it go away? Well, I always, I always kind of, when I got a little older, I would, well, like later on in high school, I was kind of questioning, like, you know, this, it just didn't make sense. The that, practicality of Jesus? Well, not Jesus. Jesus makes sense. But, you know, the idea that this is, this is the only way you can believe. If you don't believe in him, right. then you're going to hell and everybody right. else is wrong right. and all that. Right. How could everybody be wrong? Exactly. It seems like some people don't even know. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Boy, why do like why do they have to go down? <laughs> I know it's true. <laughs> that fella in the picture from another part of the world has no idea, right? That he's going down. It's true. Is that what sort of the th- the reasoning? Well, was? that's why that's why they're missionaries, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> right? Yeah. To scare them, <laughs> send send someone over there to scare them into believing in Jesus. Exactly. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sadly, I I say with all due respect, it works a lot of the time. I'm afraid. Yeah. You know? So were you frightened by ministers as a child? Was there fire and brimstone involved? Uh, there was a genuine fear of hell. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I believed in hell and, and as a place of eternal torment. And your parents did that to you? Well, I mean, they weren't, you know, they weren't like right. taskmasters They're about just it. sort of like, we oh, just, by the way. I grew up going to church, you know, and grew up going to these Baptist schools, and, and I was a believer, and you know, I got saved when I was young. And how, so. what did, how does that happen? Well, you go, I mean, typically, I mean, it can happen different ways, but you typically, you know, you go forward in a, in a church service or a chapel service if it's at school and you say you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and ask for forgiveness of your sins and you invite Jesus into your heart. Mm-hmm. You and did that? Is I that, did that. Did, yeah. did you do it in water? Don't they do it in water? Well, that's baptism. That comes after that. That's that's when you, that's after you've gotten saved and you want to join a particular church, you get baptized. Did you do that? I did do that. Yeah. In the water? Yeah. With many people in robes? Just just one man. We just it's just one in these in the Southern Baptist churches, typically, I guess it's still this way. I haven't been in one in a long time. There's a baptismal back behind sort of the, oh, the stage. You no know? river. No river. That's just no. more cinematic. Well, that's if you're in the country. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you go for the afternoon with a few other people that need a Duncan. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you just go out and back in the tub is what you're telling me. <laughs> kind of, kind of. But in front of everybody. Oh, yeah? Is, yeah. It, is it a big moment? Is it an embarrassing moment? Or is it like he's here? It wasn't embarrassing. It was just, you know. What you did. It's just what yeah, you did. just what you did. I mean, I was a kid, you know. So, right, right. Yeah. How old? I don't know. Maybe six, seven, something Interesting. Like that. Yeah. So do you remember your, the preacher? 
You remember the guy? I do. Powerful man. Um, sweet man. Oh yeah, sweet man. Yeah. When he got up, did he put on a show? Did he? Was he like, "Hello, you guys"? He wasn't. He wasn't too. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. <laughs> Hello, you guys. You clearly spent a lot of time in churches, Mark. <laughs> it's not, uh, yeah. So you decide to be an actor, and your your faith in Jesus is waffling. Yes. <laughs> So you've you've rolled around as a munchkin once, right? So a lot of things have happened. That's kind of my life. You bottomed out a Buick. Yep. <laughs> it, was a, it was a wild life. A crazy southern life you had. Lost reckless yeah. youth. <laughs> so where do you end up uh, going to study? I went to a North Carolina School of the Arts in Winston Salem. It's now called University of North Carolina School of the Arts and studied drama. Yeah. Yeah. The whole time, four years you did. Did the four years ago, my Bachelor of Fine Arts degree. Very important document to have. It is. Did you frame it? Because that'll get you work anywhere. <laughs> People are like, whoa, you can do whatever you want to do. Come on inside. Exactly. Yeah. I still I still bring it to auditions with me. <laughs> I got my BFA. <laughs> from, that, yeah. from North Carolina. Yeah. You feel strong as an actor? What was, the, what was your defining role in college? I did One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I was McMurphy. You did McMurphy? Yeah. Wow. That was kind of a big deal because everybody else in my class, all the other guys in my class, were like vying for the role and thought, you know, they were going to get it. And uh, and we had to audition and I turned it up, turned out to get it. And that was kind of like a little victory for me, you know, because I was by no means the biggest guy. I was one of the smaller guys in class, you know, and they were all just, you know, thinking it would be a bigger. Because I, I imagine that most people think that, that Nicholson defined that role, but I think the way Kesey wrote it and the way that the playwright hijacked his novel for the play, <laughs> he was a big redheaded guy, right? That sounds right, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, because yeah. I remember in the book that it was this massive kind of Irish force of a man. Exactly. And and Nicholson was actually against type. Right. Kesey was very upset about it. Was that, he? Yeah. I didn't know that. Furious. Um, he wrote the novel. Did not. He did not approve of uh the movie he approved of the play kind of yeah so they took the movie from the play so he didn't sign off on it and there's sort of a famous story about um someone asked him if he if if he had seen the film right and he said if someone came to your door and said there's a bunch of hell's angels raping your daughter do you want to go out and watch would you go that's that jesus was christ <laughs> yeah it's a little dramatic <laughs> a little bit yeah but he was yeah. you know he's a big personality that fella. I, I guess so so when you did mcmurphy did yeah. you feel like you were really doing it really acting eventually i mean event yeah i mean it took it i mean that's what rehearsal is for but i think by the time we opened i was i was in a pretty good place with it it was a bit of a stretch yeah yeah why but, had you seen the movie i think i'd seen the movie it must have been out by then i think yeah. i'd seen the movie um but, you know, obviously I wasn't going to try to do it like Jack Nicholson. And that was the thing. That was the reason a lot of the guys, most of the guys in class didn't get it, is they were kind of doing it like Jack Nicholson a little right. bit. Right. What do you learn in drama school? What did you learn that, that you still carry with you? Are there things that you, like when you're on stage or in a film or on a television show where you're like, um, is there still stuff in there that... You know, the simplest thing that I that I re- remind myself of, I try to remind myself of, is just to to listen Right. To really listen and right. then to really talk to somebody. Right. You know. And not, not be self-conscious. Yeah, not just to get have these lines in your head in a pre-planned way. You're going to deliver these lines, which for comedy is hard because it's like, oh, I think the funny way to say this is this. Yeah. You know, but but you, you want to be in the moment, you know. But you do have to make choices before, eventually, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I talk to actors and all of them have sort of tricks and little things that they know, but it's innately something you either can do or you can't, I think. 
Yeah, it's true. Well, you're an actor. Kinda, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm a stand up, but I did, I've acted a bit. Yeah. But I do have problems with sort of like, should I move my feet? You know, am I gonna just stand here? Am I standing here? I'm just standing here. That kind of stuff. I know. I struggle with that. You do sometimes, yeah. Where you're just sort of like, should I move something? What do you... I don't know. What do I do with my hands? And don't. Yeah. I my my tendency is to gesture too much sometimes. I do know? too, but I think I do that in real life. I don't yeah. know. Right. I, I like I, I you know it would be helpful if somebody just filmed us for the day, right? You know, cleaned, you know, secretly. I know it would. Just so you kind of like, well, I do that naturally. Yeah. You know, look, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do with my hands in life either. <laughs> I, th- I think it would be really upsetting to watch after the fact. You know, it's <laughs> like because if somebody has shot, somebody shot something of me that I kind of wasn't aware they were shooting with their iPhone or whatever, and I watched it. I'd be like, oh god, that's what I look like. That's what I sound like. That's <laughs> why did somebody give me some direction? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like, oh god. So Jeez. how do you? What, so you went back home after college? Um, eventually, I mean, I went. I went to uh, down to the Alley Theater in Houston. I did. They had like a. It's like a regional theater down there. They had this apprentice actor program. So I did that for a season. So that was like your graduate. Uh, school in a way. Yeah, I mean a little bit. I mean it was just it was just something to do. What and, was the plan in your mind? Well, the, originally the plan was to to go to New York with my buddy Adam and you know try to be An theater actor, actors right. in New York, and like then, just like Duval and, and Dustin Hoffman. You're going to live together, maybe go to the Method place a little bit. Yeah, that was the plan. But after Houston, I was kind of disenchanted with the whole acting theater thing. What happened I, there? What? How did they break your heart in Houston? <laughs> well, how did they break you? I was pretty cocky. I mean, I I I thought I was pretty great, and yeah. uh, and I didn't get sort of invited to stick around and be a part of the the larger company of the main company even though they technically didn't have one but they had a pool of actors they used a lot in houston so you go out there to do this the alley theater thing in houston as an apprentice right and they don't ask you back in houston (laughs) right right so that was that was that was rough for me that was rough (laughs) i can imagine maybe they already had a a chris parnell type (laughs) they they probably did they probably did (laughs) i could see how that'd be a bummer like so you're thinking like I can't cut it in Texas. Well, and there was another guy who was an apprentice with me who, yeah. uh, perfectly lovely guy and talented, but I, I was better than him. And he got it. He got it. But he was, a, he was a better singer than me, so I think that had something to do with it. Was there ever that moment where you're like, how far can I go doing regional theater? I don't think I had that. Not, you just wanted to act. I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to act, and I knew there was this regional theater circuit around the country, right. and that seemed less intimidating, I think, than New York did. Yeah. You know, that seemed reasonable. It's like, that's not, I'm not shooting too high. And you could also practice and do your shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and be a, be a part of this community and, you know, travel a little bit. Right. So reason. now you're sadly returning to Memphis from Texas. I returned to Memphis. And you sit down with your dad, <laughs> and he says, son, what? Nothing. No, I mean, he was he was happy. To, they were happy to have me back. I moved back home. <laughs> they really? Into yeah. the house? Yeah. And but I, I taught high school for a year. That's what I did. Really? Yeah. My old uh, drama teacher. Yeah. Who, who was like a big influence on my life and still a good friend. He he said, you know, you don't want to come back and try teaching for a year. And I was like, geez, I, you know, yeah, sure. I don't know what else I'm going to do. So, yeah, I'll try that. He sensed that you were wavering. I think, yeah. I mean, you know, and he... You got beat up a little bit. A little bit, yeah. but I mean, I mean, it's like it's no, pathetic to say that because I hadn't even done anything. I mean, it's like so rejection's rejection. You know, like yeah. he was he was helping you out in a way. Yeah. yeah. Why? How is he a big influence in your life? Oh uh, well, he you know he's we had this amazing theater program at my high school, Germantown High School, and a, and an amazing television program as well. And so we did like we did really good stuff, and um, 
And, you know, he, he basically taught me how to act. I mean, he, he was the first, he said to me at a certain point, he's like, Hey, you know, you can really do this if yeah, you want to, right. you know, you're, you're actually good enough to, to do this for a living. Uh-huh. And he encouraged me to pursue it. And, and I did. You need that one guy, right? You do. I mean, I certainly did. Yeah. Especially yeah. with something like acting. How the hell are you going to know? Exactly. But did he say things like, you see that other guy over there? He's not going anywhere. <laughs> I don't, I don't. I don't think he. I don't know that he quite did that. No. You, on the other hand, that guy. I don't know what he's doing. All these other guys, they are shit. But you, you're going somewhere, kid. Don't let them drag you down. What was the experience in teaching like? Did Did you have that in you, or uh, I mean, it was it was hard. It was really hard. Yeah, I, I, I was I was like 24, 25, so I wasn't ready to be. You weren't that far out of the woods. No. You weren't that far away from being a high school exactly. kid. Exactly, and I had to wear a tie and a you know a jacket uh-huh. and be Mr. Parnell and. Oh. Yeah, I just wasn't. I wasn't nearly ready to be that much of an adult. And there know? was probably some sort. Of, there was some strutting involved. I mean, you're dealing with high school kids. They have to. You, you got to deal with that whole ego oh, issue. Oh, was just, it? just, just. There, you know, there's just there's going to be troublemakers right. in any class. And, was there? Oh yeah, and they just made it hell. And because I, I wasn't, I wasn't mature enough or whatever enough to know how to sort of deal with that. Right. Well, did you ever snap and just go, "Look, you think I want to do this?" <laughs> You think I want to be here? This is not my choice. <laughs> Things didn't go well for me in Texas. I was supposed to be on Broadway. God damn it. <laughs> no, none of that. No, I do remember one time saying saying that I'm not the villain here. That's <laughs> something that had happened. It's like, I am not the bad guy. I'm not the villain. And- this, this is drama class. You guys should be happy to be here. This- <laughs> Yeah, I was I was not cut out for that. But the, after the bell rang, and I was dealing with like the theater kids and the TV studio kids who were really like focused and dedicated, that was great. Yeah. I loved all that. Oh right, the right, stuff right. that I had done. You right. Know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was fantastic. But the the actual teaching, I was not so good at. When did you become interested in comedy? Well, we did a play called Greater Tuna my senior year of high school. Me and my buddy Dan McClary, mm-hmm. and each each person plays about ten different parts. Oh wow. Yeah, and all these quick changes and stuff. It's, yeah. a, it's a great little play. Yeah. And uh, and so that was kind of my first time being, supposing, where I was supposed to be funny on stage, right. really. And, and it worked. And, you know, I got good laughs. So That's that's it. That was it. And yeah. after that, I was hooked. Well, you know, honestly, it wasn't until I got to college, because I just wanted to be an actor, and I thought I'd be a dramatic actor, you know? And then at college, the kind of things that I seemed to be excelling at were more the comedic roles. And When did you, but you didn't know you had a knack for it? Because you're very funny. You seem to, you know, you, you lock in. You've got very deliberate and, and natural timing. You, you know, you you can go over the top and you'd be weird and you have all that stuff. Thank you. But you're very, not in real life. Not in real life at all. You're just like, you're just <laughs> your guy. audience is fucking out. No, but I, I mean, do you find that you're funny and like, you didn't know you were funny or did you know? Um, you know, I think I, I always tried to be funny when I was a kid. You right, know, I was like right. a bit of a class clown, yeah, yeah. but I don't know that I was ever successful at it. So you didn't have that weird desperate need to disrupt and, you know, hijack situations with your, you know, hilarity? Only somewhat. Yeah. Only somewhat. Yeah. So I imagine the first time you had to play comedy that, that the, the context and the fact that you could, you know, kind of, uh, repeatedly get laughs in doing a, a you know performance must yeah. have been like holy fuck well it was like oh this is what this is what i've been wanting to do all along i just didn't know it you right know? it's like this is this is where i'm supposed to be is that when you were sort of introduced to your timing that you knew that you could pull it off i mean it, it is an innate thing you can't manufacture it 
Yeah, but I also yeah, I mean, but I also think you can learn a lot. You yeah, know? and I think I learned. I've learned a lot as I've gone on and got yeah. older. Yeah, like what? Well, you just watch what other actors do. And, yeah, you know, especially other comedic actors, right. and you you pick up little things from them. You know. So what happens? So you hit the wall. Now you you're, you you do you do you feel like you have failed as a high school teacher, or you were just like, I got to get the hell out of here? How how do you get out of your house? You're living with your parents, <laughs> teaching high school in Memphis, <laughs> Germantown, and you're like, what happens? There must be. Was there a crisis of? Of con- of soul was there a dark night of the soul, Chris? <laughs> I guess there was somewhat. I just knew I didn't want to keep teaching, and I and I said, well, you know, I haven't really given the acting thing a try. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna try to be an actor, I need to actually make some more effort, and that's when I decided to move out to L.A. Did, did you did you have friends here? I did. I had some friends out of here. L.A. was I'd never considered L.A. and this is embarrassing well this is crazy because like why would you with show business well i know right why would you well because i'd always thought i was going to be a theater actor that is so bizarre to me yeah i mean i've talked to a lot of people that that have that feeling i think it's a romantic idea you you know like it's sort of like i I don't know always i'm not i'm not i'm not saying it's amazing but it's that is like the hardest path it is Really you know, is. like they're like even in in movies and stuff. You know, there's like ten guys that are you know really kings of it at any in any given decade. Right. But theater, it's like three. Well, and and the 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 amount of work you have to do, and just to, and and the amount of work that there really is to earn a living. Right. Is exactly. Incredibly limited. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's crazy. Well, so you kind of woke up with the L.A. thing. You were like, maybe there's. There's opportunity at where show business is. Yeah, you know, and and I had friends out here who, who were who doing it. some. Yeah, who was? Are they around? They are. Uh, I had gone to school with Dietrich Bader. He had he had left after sophomore year because he was getting work out here, and he was he actually was one of the first people that said to me. He said, "You need to go take classes at the Groundlings," which was the some of the best advice I ever got because kind of everything sprang from that then and so many people uh, have yeah. uh, have sprung from the groundlings it's very interesting I was just talking to uh, Dak Shepard oh yeah that you know, and that was com- like I knew a little bit about the groundlings years ago that it was like the the Los Angeles version of uh, second city of second city and that's where SNL but you know it it, it it's it's amazing how there there are these very different schools of 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 where funny people come from. You know, yeah. the stand up. There's the Groundlings or Second City, and you know, and that's and now UCB. Right. But like they're you know f- kind of tracking the difference between the personalities of stand ups and sketch people. And so, what year was that? Did you audition for the Groundlings? Uh, it was ninety two, February of ninety two, because that's when I moved out to L A. And where where was your first uh, apartment here? First apartment was on El Centro, just above Santa Monica. Uh, huh. Near, uh, just it's like a block east of Vine. It's weird when you first move out here, it, like because you're like, where, where am I? How does this city work? I know. Well, I, I just I I knew I, knew I wanted to be in Hollywood because yeah. that was exciting. But like, didn't you have that weird feeling of like you had friends here, which is fortunate? But it's very easy to feel like, well, what? How does this town work? Oh no, absolutely. And I still I'm not completely sure. <laughs> no, I'm, I, <laughs> I'm still learning. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy to like I'm close to things. Right. Yeah, I can drive to a store. It's nice. Yeah, but you realize very early on, that it's like, well, there's, there's no real center here, but you do try to pick one, don't you? You do. You have yeah. to pick what works for you. Yeah. You know, now it's Silver Lake. Right. Um, All right. So, okay. So, you, you, you audition for the Groundlings just for the classes. Yeah. yeah. And you get in. That first class I was in, a, a guy named Scott Wainio, who ended up, is still a good friend, and was a writer on SNL. Uh-huh. A guy named Mike LaPrete. Um, 
those are the two main guys that started out with me. But around, you know, by the time we got into the Sunday show and all that, there was, like, it was on a gas tire and there were more people, you know. And then just above me was, like, Will Ferrell, Sherry O'Terry, Chris Kattan. They were around. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So, but you're all young and you don't know that yeah, that the guy who's just a little ahead of you is going to be the king of the comedy industry. I know. So how many years, that's like a long haul. So once you got in, you have to go through what, two or three years of, of you, classes? You go through four different levels of classes. Yeah. And you have to get, you know, like moved right. up through each one and then you right. get into the Sunday show. Yeah. And then you do that for anywhere from like a year to longer if you can. And then- But some people don't make that. No, no, yeah. Most people don't. What was your what was your uh strong suit? Uh monologues. Uh-huh. Monologues, yeah. That's what I, I I fared the best at. I mean, I was I was good in scenes, but I was best at writing monologues, down lefts they were called because that's that, where we would uh, How does that work? So what uh, I've never been to a groundling show, so that is an actual part of the show, down left. What how does that fit in? You just somebody comes out in the down left portion of the stage, there's a little and area It's a character there. piece. Yeah, character or multiple characters or you know. really, and you're alone. Yeah how how does that how is that set up? It just comes out of nowhere. The scene the scene goes dark before, and the audience applauds. Hopefully, yeah. the band plays, yeah. and then the lights come up down and, left, and, and you just do a thing that you've constructed. Yeah, were, were any of those characters? Did they stay with you? You know, I tried to take some of the Groundling stuff to SNL, and I mean, I used it in my audition, which was it was really helpful for that. But I don't know that any of it made it on the air. It's, what uh, were they? Well, I had a I had a Southern preacher. Yeah, you know, it was kind of. Uh, it became clear as he preached more that he was kind of perverse and obsessed yeah. with young girls and uh-huh. that kind of thing. And then I had a I had a guy who was a big baseball fan, and he he was sitting there with his family at this Atlanta Braves game, and sort of there were all these multiple points of focus talking to his kid, and then the person behind him, and all this. So that's where you first started to get the experience of writing comedy. It was, yeah. I mean, I fared best if I was writing a scene. I always did best writing it with somebody else. But you know, obviously, I could write monologues by myself. Were you guys sitting around watching Will and those guys? Well, Will, Will, and them got on SNL. I think I was. I think I was in the main company then, or maybe I was in the Sunday Show. But we would. I remember going back to the office in the backstage area between scenes and watching them. Yeah. On their first SNL because it was so exciting. Nobody from the Groundlings had gotten on SNL in a while. You know, it had been like Phil Hart. And then I don't know if there's anybody after Phil. When did you start to realize that that was something you were gunning for? I mean, once you entered the Groundlings, was it, was that on your mind, SNL? It was only on my mind because they, they would occasionally come and look at us, and uh, and there was a time when I knew it's the time that Anna Gastar ended up getting hired, and they had looked at tape of me, and I didn't get it. Uh, I didn't even get the audition or anything. So I thought, oh, that was my SNL shot. Too bad. But were you doing other auditions? Were you acting at all? Yeah, were you, yeah. Were you, were you working? Yeah, I was doing I was doing like guest star spots and sitcoms and oh, stuff. Oh, you were, yeah. Yeah. There was, enough, there was enough going on for me to say, okay, I'm not an idiot for doing this. And I was getting commercials and uh-huh. things like that. So when did the audition happen? When did it click? Um, it was the next go-round when they were looking at people, and I, I happily didn't even know they were looking at us again. So, 92, so what year is it now that you, you come now out Now it's like 97, I guess. Wow. Yeah. So, five years of guest stars and commercials and, and going through all four levels, and you've been in the Sunday show for, what, a year or so? Yeah, and then then I got moved into the main show. So, who comes for the audition, and you didn't know they uh-huh. were there? 
Uh, no, I had no idea they were there. Who uh, was it? Marcy? Maybe. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't you know if it was her. Don't know. I still don't know. No. You just, someone said, you got a call. Your agent got a call. After the fact, I got a call from my agent saying they had, again, requested tape, and I had a little more tape to yeah, show at that yeah. point, and uh, they wanted to fly me to New York. That's exciting. It was it was exciting and terrifying at the same time. Did you feel ready at that moment? No, not at all. Because I had to get I had to get my audition together. You know. And how many how many characters did you do? They wanted three characters and three impressions. I ended up doing four characters and two impressions just because I didn't really have any impressions. Who so. were your impressions? Tom Brokaw and this MTV VJ at the time named Jesse. Yeah. Um, which was, it was not a very good impression. Uh -huh. um, you didn't feel strong in the impression zone? I didn't. No, not at all. But, but the Brokaw, Brokaw was pretty, I somehow just sort of realized we- Yeah, you do a good Brokaw. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's all right. That's, yeah. <laughs> You still not great. You don't feel great about your impressions. <laughs> it's all right. I feel. I feel. I feel a lot better about that. I mean, it was like SNL was like impression school in a way because yeah. they just you know every week it's like here you're going to be this senator. Here's yeah. some tape. Yeah. You know, study <laughs> that's this. That's how it works. Yeah, kind of. And and my first show, I had to be Kenneth Starr. Yeah. And uh, it's like, what is? How does Kenneth Starr sound? What does he look like? Because he wasn't. We knew his name, but he wasn't that much of a Kenneth media Starr presence. From the, the guy who lynched Clinton. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I had to be him and like, what? Do, how do you do that? And I mean, Daryl Hammond, uh, genius at it, and Jimmy and so many guys who are, who are... Jimmy Fallon? Yeah. Yeah. Who are genuinely brilliant at it. And But it was really, I really had to work on it. Because it's tricky because you have to not only do an impression, but you have to tweak the elements of the personality that define that that guy yeah and find what's funny and if, right and if there's not something there then you sort of have to make a take on it that that is funny and it's like it's like will forte when he did george bush yeah he was it was so off it was so different but it was funny you right. know um for me the hard thing with impressions was i am kind of a i guess a literal person in some ways so i I want to do the impression just as much like that person sounds as I can. I it, think Daryl's a little like that. Yeah, but no, but Daryl Daryl knows how to find a hook. Yeah. He, he finds a thing about right. it and, and twists it and tweaks right. it. I mean, he's he's got a great instinct for that. It was, I have to really think about it. So, okay, so you fly back for the audition. And what happens? Walk me through the, the Lorne hoops. Um, you know what? It wasn't... It was... It was great. I mean, they put us up at a nice hotel, and I was there with uh, this actor, Mike McDonald. He was one of the he was one of the ones actually in the in the Groundlings with me. Um, and we were both auditioning, and we did our scenes for each other, and deliberately didn't laugh because we'd heard not to expect laughter. In the hotel room, you did this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we just did we just drilled them over and over. And that, that made all the difference. And so you go into the stage into eight H, and you go up on home base, what it's called, where the host does their monologue and. There's a camera in front of you, and then there's people sort of sitting around in the dark that you don't know who they are. You know, Lauren's probably among them. Um, and then you do your little presentation, you know, and uh, hopefully it goes off well. And mine did. I, I you know, I kind of nailed it. Did you get laughs? I did get some laughs, yeah. yeah. Not a lot, but I got some laughs. Yeah. And then Fred Wolf, who was just leaving as the head writer, like followed me down the hall and was just like, man, that was just that was fantastic and was so encouraging and nice and I was like oh oh great Were you suspect of it though no not of him he was really genuine he's a nice he was, guy yeah yeah he was really genuine and uh yeah and then I stuck around for another day or two to to meet with some of the head writers and stuff and um and then went home and just waited you know to find out you know it's like this huge thing that could happen in your life or might not happen so it's like 
do you get hopeful about it or you just try not to think about it or and what was the call like um it was from my agent i was living in studio city at the time um i was standing on ventura i think she paged me a pager, i had my yeah. pager and i called her on a payphone in front of california pizza kitchen and and she you know said you know they want you to they want to hire you they want you to come up in x number of weeks and all that kind of jazz and and so you moved to new york i moved to new york yeah i kept a place here yeah i kept a place here and uh and moved up there and you know. and then you met lauren and then i met lauren yeah in his office it was cool he he i remember he called me in and he was like he was like you know you've got more experience than jimmy and horatio and you know because i'd done more tv i yeah. guess you know and so you know we may be relying on you more for that stuff and i was like okay cool great Obviously, Jimmy and Horatio were fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. very, they were very fine with with less experience, but um, but yeah, but no, he was cool. You know, he was nice. You seem very practical. You don't seem to have the the standard kind of like weird kind of you know insecurity and and insanity of a comedic uh, you know person. Well, I've never done stand up. Because it, it's, it, I mean, it's terrifying to me. Yeah, you know, right. So I was, you know, I was just approached it from wanting to be an actor, and, right? But I mean, yeah, I'm definitely insecure. I mean, I definitely have some self-loathing and all that stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. But, um, but like, it sounds to me like you know, he looked at you as sort of a grounded person. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, as yeah. opposed to like, well, there's a lot of crazy people here. And, <laughs> right. And that's how, that's how I just decoded what he just said. <laughs> yes. I don't know what's going to happen with the. <laughs> <laughs> I think there might be something in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so, so you just start. How quickly were you on camera? I was on camera my first show in the cold open doing Kenneth Starr. It was it was a sketch called Oprah Two Thousand. This was in '98, and it was imagining how all the the players from the Clinton Lewinsky scandal were getting along two years later on um, oh, okay. Oprah. Tim Meadows was Oprah. John Goodman came on as Linda Tripp. And um, <laughs> Molly was Monica Lewinsky. And uh, Daryl was Clinton, of course. Uh -huh. And I was Kenneth Starr. And you got laughs? I might have gotten a little bit of a laugh. I mean, nobody knew who the hell I was, right. you know. And, right, uh, So It's a tough one. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you just come on and try not to screw up and you know look like you belong there and all now, that. Now, who was on? So though, though they, they were all in your cast. So who else was in your cast? Well, it was Will Ferrell, Sherry O'Terry, Chris Kattan, Anna Gasteyer. It's a big cast. Tim Meadows. Uh, Jimmy. Jimmy Fallon, Horatio Sands. Shortly, the next year, it was Rachel Dratch. Um, there was Tracy Morgan. Um, Tracy, that's who I auditioned with. So that was 94. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What was your audition like? It, it, people were tired of hearing it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I met with Lauren, and it was very odd. Um, but, you know, that's that's the past, and now yeah. everything is turned around. It has. Yeah, I'm doing this in my garage, and you know, I'm talking to you about you know, your great success. Well, you got a TV show. Saturday. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm, not, I'm not playing. Tour the country. I, I think that uh, everything worked out fine, but it does sort of stand in my mind as sort of there's some part of me that wants to be like sort of just have to sit across from Lauren. Like I want to interview him for you know who he is, right? But at some point, I'd like to go. What happened that day? Seriously, I mean, what? <laughs> I know. I think a lot of people probably feel that way. I think it'd be an amazing conversation. Yeah, I'm sure it would. Uh, He's a very interesting man. He is. He's like the... The, the, the king of late night now. I mean. He's the king of everything. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, if you really think about it, like his place in in modern television, there's nobody more important. He's up there. So how long was it before, you know, he uh, gave you the, the, the boot? Well, I got the boot after three years. And this that, is... What the fuck is that about? 
Yeah, you know, it was. I, I never knew the answer to that. Either. But when did you really start to feel like, all right, things were clicking? When did you do that thing with Sandberg? Was that the second time? That was after you got fired the first time. That right? was after I got fired and came back. But you were, you know, you were in a lot of bits. You did a lot of impressions. Yeah, you know, I did okay. You know, yeah. I wasn't like a breakout star or anything. Did you feel the environment was very competitive? Yes and no, but you know, I felt like the writers there liked writing for me, yeah. and you know, and I was. I was working on my own writing with, you know, other people and, and would occasionally get some stuff on. And um, so I felt like, I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm not the, I'm not the head banana here, but you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm a, I'm a good ensemble player and, you know. But you knew that. You knew that like, well, that guy's, he's a big ham and he's going to. Well, I mean, Jimmy was clearly, you know, kind of breaking out and obviously yeah. Will was yeah. amazing and yeah. everything as he should have been. Right. And Sherry was a genius and Catan had all his characters and I mean, and, yeah, you know. But it's interesting out of them and, and Daryl was still around, but you know, Daryl oh, yeah. was like a lifer over there. For, I know. And then like people could be great, but it didn't necessarily mean that the breakout was going to stick. It's true. It's true. It's interesting. Yeah, like there are people that worked great on stage, but they didn't make the jump. You know, right? It, as big as some other people had. It's like you couldn't have assumed that Jimmy would end up where he is. No, no. I mean, not at all. It's wild. I know it is wild because he tried a couple movies, and you know, and I know, and Catan did a couple of big movies, right? But he, you know, show business is. Uh, well, Catan's doing the stand-up thing now. Yeah, that, I don't know that that's a, a good story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, stand-up's not so the thing you want to end up on. <laughs> I just know that from experience. You know, I, I know he's a, he's a great talent, um, but it's it just like show business is kind of you don't know what the fuck is going to happen, man. You don't. Well, you got to diversify. Yeah, you got to figure it out. Yeah. So, all right. So, when you got fired, were you surprised that first time? I mean, I was very surprised. I was. I was pretty devastated. I'd never been fired from any job, and then how, I, how was it handled? My manager, uh, Jimmy Miller, at the time, called me. Jimmy, and, big manager. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, Julie Darmody, then Wixon, is now kind of more my yeah. lady. But it was such a big call that Jimmy, you know, called and right. said, "Man, I don't know what to tell you. They're not. Yeah. They're not bringing you back." And uh, and it was yeah, I just I was just parked the car and just sat there. I don't think I cried. I just was like stunned. I was just like, what was the reason? Uh, no real reason. Ugh, no real reason. The worst. Yeah. Lauren didn't talk to you. No, no. Yeah. But when he hired me back, I went back. I went back in the thirteenth episode of what was my fourth. Turned out to be my fourth. So season. you were out for how long? I was out the first twelve episodes of of season so, four. So okay, so he, you you get cut. And you got to take that hit. You right. don't know why, right? And how? Do, why do they ask you back? Well, you know, I, I heard from Will Farrell almost immediately. He said, "Look, I talked to Lauren because I think he and Catan actually went to bat for me, and I think a lot, number of the writers and people did. There was this big outpouring of support. Like, we don't know what what's going on here, and and it felt very genuine. It wasn't just like you know, right. lip service. And and he said, Lauren, you know, it's kind of indicated the door's not completely shut, so." I was like, oh, okay. So there was this kind of this emotional roller coaster of I would hear from Jimmy Miller, like, well, Lauren Stain, he still might bring you back. And weird. So, yeah, it was weird. It was hard. And I, I had already given up my place in New York and, and I was living back in LA, but I had all my. Were you doing movies and stuff by then or not yet? Or were you just, was SNL it for the most part? I mean, I was thinking, I, and I'd started, I was doing more TV stuff mm -hmm. and the occasional movie thing, yeah. you know, and commercials, but. Right. All my stuff was in New York, right. and I was living 
just here waiting to hear. Right. But that's like a limbo. It's not even yeah, waiting no, to hear. Yeah, no, it was a terrible. Yeah, it was bad. It's just you're just waiting for Lauren to go, okay. Right. Well, and I finally said to Jimmy, I was like, look, man, I can't take this anymore. So I don't want to hear about any maybes anymore. If they want to hire me back, great. I'm happy to go back. Of course, I want to go back. But uh, and then finally one day, they brought me back. And did Lauren talk to you? He did. He did. And he, he said, you know, look, I, I made a mistake, you know. Really? He really did. <laughs> what did you do? I, you know, I was I was just so happy to be back there. And did you get choked up? I just got choked up. <laughs> um, I've I, invested a lot in the character of Warren, <laughs> so like for for him to admit he's made a mistake, I know I it was a big deal. It was a big deal for him, and uh, I appreciated it. You know, obviously, it meant a lot. And would you just say that? Well, I'm glad I'm back, and yeah, you know, and uh, I'm happy you to did be back. make a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about why you fucked up. <laughs> you didn't have that conversation. Uh, I didn't. No. <laughs> Go a little more into that mistake. I want to know what your thinking was. <laughs> that would have been amazing. So you're back. Yeah. And there's new people. There's Seth came on and uh, and Andy and with him Makiva and Yorma is writers and and filmmakers. And, yeah. Um, yeah, quite a few people. I'm I'm gonna forget a lot of people, but uh, now was was Lazy Sunday the first huge thing? It was, yeah. That was the first big digital short. It wasn't the first one, but it, I think it was the second one. And and Andy just was like, you know, they were doing their own thing in that closet they were working at, and then he sort of said, "Well, you want to be part of this thing?" Yeah, I mean, they'd been making you know videos and little series uh, part of the Lonely Island. Yeah, you know, and so they already had this amazing skill set to make these things. Yeah. And and they had seen me do my I'd done some raps on Weekend Update, and so they said, "Hey, we you know we liked what you did. Would you want to do one of these with us?" And I was like, "Of course, absolutely." Yeah. And that was it. That was it. Yeah. But you know, you just make this goofy thing. And you're not you're not thinking that, right? Yeah, right. And you know. it just gets viral. And you did a few of them with him, right? Yeah, I did a few. We did it. It was one with Natalie Portman. That's um, that one's hilarious. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> She's hardcore. Yeah. She, well, she's an actor, you know. She committed. Yeah. You know? That's what you guys do, you actors. Well, we try. So now, like, in that, you know, upon returning, you know, you, your profile was higher. I don't know that it was higher. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you mean like in as, as in the entertainment business or just on the show? or and On the show and both, in a way. Well, I don't know that it was high. I mean, I felt like it was kind of parallel. It was like it was gone down here kind of back to maybe where I was before. Right. And then, then what ultimately happened? Um... It, t- it took a while to get my confidence back in a way, but shortly thereafter, I they gave me the President Bush impression. Yeah. And uh, I did that for a year, and that led to like an extension of my contract and a raise. And you some took stuff. it over from who? Will, Will, Will had right. done it. Right. And then it was crazily, I mean, it's one of the few things Daryl could not do. He just couldn't right, get Will's right. impression out of his head, I guess he said. And it was the only thing. I mean, it's just like. He's the master, but he he didn't have a bush. Yeah, yeah and now it, tell me a little bit about this developing the ability to do impressions. That in terms of what you brought up, that it was sort of like impression school. That you know how how long did it take, and who helped you sort of figure out how to put those things together? I mean, you're just kind of you're kind of on your own. I really? Mean, yeah. We had a you know there's a research department who gets this tape for you usually, or I mean now I'm sure it's just a, a file that you download, but. Um, uh, yeah, they give this to you, and you you might get the script or whatever, and you look at it, and uh, you just you know try to get the voice, and you're just sitting in a room, do, do doing you... it over and over, and um, 
trying to find something special or funny about it. Wow. You know? and, yeah. Um, who who do you think you did best? Um, well, I think I did Brokaw best, and then I did uh, uh, Joe Lieberman pretty well. <laughs> yeah. It's crazily, he was just in my wheelhouse. His, yeah. his voice. And, yeah, so. yeah. And what were your favorite characters that you did? Um, the I most did, fun. Uh, I did a character with Jimmy. We were the Bloater Brothers. Mm-hmm. These very insecure guys uh, who are always trying to pick up ladies and uh-huh. just failing at it. And then Catan and I did the DeMarco brothers yeah. who were always auditioning to be dancers for whoever like the musical guest was. <laughs> We'd be auditioning to be their, their backup dancers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And uh, I had this character, Merv the Perv, that I liked. And what, how, did the, how did your stint there end the second time? Well, the second time, it was after eight seasons and i was you know i could kind of go either way and they gave me the opportunity to say you know do you want to come back and i was like well you know it's a good paycheck and i you know i don't hate it it's yeah it's a cool gig so you know i'm not going to walk away from this if you want to let me go you can and yeah they did and you know but it was me and horatio and dratch at the same time and there were budget cuts and so i didn't it wasn't as big of a hit not nearly as big of a hit and i was kind of ready to go i felt like i'd done my time you know and then you came back out here then i came back out here yeah i stayed in new york for about another year because i loved it and had a great place in soho and wanted to stay there but the work was here and i was missing out on work and that's like after that run at snl that's when you know because you've done a lot of fucking movies yeah i I pop up every now and then and you know so that really your career you know, outside of SNL was pretty healthy. I mean, you did, yeah, yeah. And when you got Thirty Rock, how did that casting happen? You know, they just called me and they said, you know, we got this character that who called you, Tina? I, did you work with Tina? Yeah, yeah. Tina was there. Yeah, Tina yeah. and Amy Poehler. Yeah. Oh, Molly Shannon, Colin Quinn. Yeah. I mean, there's all these people. I'm Guys, like those some golden days. There. I know. Well, I, I sort of spanned like three casts. Yeah, two, two at least, maybe yeah. three. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was a pretty great time to be there. But yeah, I think it was my agent saying, you know, Tina and, and Robert Carlock uh, have, you know, would love for you to play this part in this episode of 30 Rock. And um, I was like, yeah, of course, absolutely. So I did it. And then it became, you know, a recurring thing. And I think, I think they wrote it with me in mind based on kind of knowing my stuff at SNL. It's a funny character. Thanks. It was, I feel very fortunate to have gotten to play Mr. Yeah. Leo Spichemin. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Leo Spichemin. And what 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 are you working on now? Well, I am uh, I'm doing a few animated things. I do this show Archer. Yeah, um, with uh, Judy Greer and John uh, Benjamin, Aisha, Aisha, Aisha Tyler, Aisha Tyler, Amber Nash, Lucky Yates. That's been going on a while. Yeah, I think we're I think we're about to start recording season six. And so you're doing the animated stuff now. What uh, any uh, any uh, well, you you seem to show up in the SNL uh, movies. Uh, in there. Well, you know, I, I got to, I, they brought me back to do a little bit in Anchorman 2, which right. is great. Yeah. Um, and then I do this show called Rick and Morty on uh, Cartoon Network, another animated thing that's it's really also good. I mean, two really well-written shows. I know. don't know how you guys deal with the heartbreak of it. The rejection of being an actor is, you know, you just, you just got to integrate it into your life and somehow frame this, you know, it's not, doesn't necessarily have anything to do with you. Yeah, no, it's yeah. I mean, I've I've been on enough sitcoms that haven't gotten picked up or been canceled or whatever right. that it's, you know. Well, congratulations on the child. Thank you. You seem like a well-adjusted person. <laughs> so maybe medication helps. Oh yeah, what yeah. are you on? Uh, Prozac, Wellbutrin, uh, 
uh, Boost Perone. Oh, Perone. yeah? Yeah. Were you depressive? Yeah, mildly. And, yeah. and a, it's a little obsessive and anxiety, that stuff. I have anxiety. Yeah. It helps? Oh, yeah. Def- the stuff helps, yeah. Well, when before you were on it, what did your anxiety do to you? Well, you know, I wasn't on anything when I was on SNL, and I, I sometimes wonder if I would have fared even better, you know. Had you been yeah. leveled? Yeah. Yeah? But well, it also might have taken something away. I don't know. But You got OCD issues? Um, Only mild tendencies, not like serious. But, but the anxiety is the thing? The anxiety is there, yeah. How did it manifest itself? Um, well, it all start. It really happened when my now wife agreed to be my girlfriend. I had a panic attack. Really? Yeah. I like couldn't breathe kind of thing? Well, I could breathe, but it was just like my heart was like beating a million miles per hour. I'd never had one. And I was wow. like, what is going on? And I... So... Yeah, it was like this this idea of like, okay, here's this woman that I, I think I actually can have a future with her and like, oh, this is a real adult relationship yeah. and holy shit, you right, know. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, I just, and I went to see a psychiatrist and got on some Right some away. Stuff. Pretty, pretty soon, like yeah. Like the first, the first sign <laughs> well, of we, this thing. Yeah, I mean, and, and but the thing, it turns out once I started on the Prozac and I mean, I tried other things and came back to that, but it was like... Oh my God! This is this is how life can be, you know. Like it was really? like so you noticed a, a, a fundamental change in your personality oh, around that stuff. Absolutely. absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was a relief. It was a relief. So you had that weird anxiety always. You just didn't know it. Yeah, until... I think so. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's good, man. I know it's great. Well, I'm glad you got that under wraps. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> right. Good talking to you, man. Good talking to you. That's it. That's our show. See, it got interesting there at the end. Now you kind of understand the tone of things. You know what I'm saying? Chris Parnell, another SNL guy. Good Lauren story. Uh, Am I circling? Am I getting closer? I got to call Lauren's office. That's our show. Uh, What else? Do I have? Did I do everything? Is everything done? Is there business that needs to be done? Uh, Go to WTFPod.com for all that. Uh, Get a gift. Get some merch. Uh, leave a comment through Facebook. Get some JustCoffee.coop. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. I wish I was the checker demon. Yeah. Anyways. Anyways, people. Uh, quick cat check-in. Uh, Monkey seems fine. His UTI, I think, is better. He seems fine. Fonda seems to be drooling a lot. I don't know what that is. She's eating. She's, like, hanging out. She's got energy. But she gets. She, sometimes there's, there's just bubbles coming out of her mouth. Is that... What's... Please tell me that's not horrible. I just like there's, there's just a little drool. I, I have not seen Deaf Black Cat. I, I think he's just eating somewhere else. I'll let you know. I'll keep you in the loop, okay? All right? I'm about to pass out. Oh my God. I gotta get back to where the trees are changing and I can remember my life. Boomer lives!